You're listening to a CanadianMovieCrew.com production. Sway in the morning, Shay 4-5. We got to talk about what's happening in Chicago. Everybody's watching this viral video. This guy in the hoodie, they're calling the Grim Reaper. He stopped the carjacking. Is he right for taking the law into his own hands? He's become a folk hero. What about the shooter? You look like a white dude. I love my family. I failed to protect them. I want to buy a gun. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Film Studies. I am Sean Taylor. With me today is Mean Mark. Hey, coming up at the top of the hour, we've got Death Wish, a conversation coming up between Sean Taylor, Mean Mark. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I really like this uh, this podcast coming up. I don't know if that's right. Uh, taking mat- taking podcast matters into your own hands. I don't know. Let us know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Give us a call. Let us know. One eight hundred. Yes. This week we took a look at uh, Death Wish. We passed on Red Sparrow. We took a look at Death Wish. It's Bruce Willis. It's as much as I love Jennifer Lawrence, uh, I had to go with the Death Wish. Uh, looked like a better movie. Uh, thoughts, Mark? Oh, well, uh, first of all, uh, also, I guess, kind of related to this is uh, we're having our one of our uh, friends of the show now uh, coming back to uh, take a look at, a, at a, one of the old Death Wish movies, Death Wish 3. Yep. You'll be able to find that shortly on the Or Is It podcast, so keep an eye out there. Shameless plug. Uh, but... Uh, uh, you know, uh, old, old friend of the show now, Scott White, coming back to just to take a look at that. He's an old school fan, uh, so we decided. I think that's part of, that was kind of one of the deciding factors why we jumped over and now we're taking a look at Death Wish. Uh, maybe you know, year end review show. We might have seen Red Sparrow by then. It's one that I do want to see eventually. So oh, absolutely. I'm kind of interested. Yeah. So it wasn't really a matter of like we thought one would be better than the other. We don't know. So we just picked one based on. Uh, something we got coming up with one of our special guests. So, overall thoughts, though. Uh, now, I've—I'll say it right up front. I haven't seen the original Death Wish. I know I'm an old school action fan. I'm not that old school. Like when I was a kid. <laughs> hey, what do you mean you haven't seen my movie? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Okay. In 1985, when you were a kid, I was still old. Blamo. You know. <laughs> no. Uh, sorry, that's Death Wish three. But still, like in the 80s, Charles Bronson was in his 60s. So, as a kid, you know, he wasn't, like, one of the up-and-coming idols, like a young Sylvester Stallone or, you know, this guy from Austria who was trying to make a name for himself in in the motion pictures there. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So, he wasn't one of my action idols. That was, like, another generation. Uh, so, I kind of missed out on all of it. But this movie, though, I like it. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's a simple story told well with enough nuance that you're not bored. Like they're like the, the, the character development is really good in this. And I think, and uh, one quick spoiler alert. I don't know. Well, this isn't really a spoiler. This is kind of covered in the trailers. I can't remember the last time I actually saw Bruce Willis cry on screen. Oh, six cents. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to do a year check on that one. Cause I can't remember but still, um, yeah, okay, so there you go. And uh, maybe, yeah, maybe some smaller film after that. I don't know. But anyway, um, it was well done. And uh, it's a simple revenge story that's set up in the right up front in the, in the trailers. And it's well told. And I the action was good. I liked it. Okay. 
You? Uh, I have to admit, um, going into this movie, I haven't seen the original Death Wish either. Not yet. Uh, it is on my sort of list to do. Um, Same here. I So I can't compare it. And going into this one, I kind of thought, well, this would be a shoot 'em up action-packed, you know, turn-your-brain-off kind of movie. But I was surprised at how much heart this movie actually has. Yes. Um, I was kind of surprised by this movie. This one is kind of... Um, it's sort of stepping out in front as my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's... It, is it is it great? No, but, I mean, it, it, it's it's really good. It's, it's, it's short. It's only about an hour 45, so it doesn't waste any time. Uh, the, there is action, yeah. but it's not it's not wall to wall action like I thought it would be. Um, there's an actual good storyline that draws you in, sucks you in, and uh, spoiler alert: there was a funeral scene, and during the speech during the funeral, I kind of welled up. You know it. Oh yeah, it's um, it's I I think it has I think it's a lot better than a lot of people expected. Only because well I shouldn't say only because, but I mean it's Eli Roth. Um, the last movie that we watched, directed by Eli Roth, was Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, which was... Awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it was on our, on our Or Is It podcast, so... He, he went back to school or something. Yeah. I, it was, I mean, there are some things that I can sort of pull it up for, but it's not really anything worth really getting angry about because it's the story and that's how the story goes. So yeah, um, I guess we'll get into it. Yeah, let's hit spoiler territory here. Um, so Bruce Willis is married to Elizabeth Shue. When, when did she become a mom all of a sudden? I, I remember when she was the hot young well, thing. Well, mm-hmm. well, well, she was the mom in Piranha uh, 3D. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's a movie that had porn stars as flavoring. So <laughs> that's true. Not really taking that role as too too seriously, but yeah. But she, but even then, she was still like the hot young mom. Now she's like the hot middle aged mom. Yeah. And still hot. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. Um, like, wait a second. You know. <laughs> so uh, and then they have a daughter, and she gets to, just gets into college, and they're a good family. Uh, he's a surgeon uh, in in trauma in the ER. Uh, life is good, um, and because of a sort of uh, uh, because of a uh, valet overhearing their conversation. Now, now, sorry if I may, before we get into that, because I know that's the part that we're getting into with respect to like what kind of they give away in the trailer, right? Which in this case, by the way, I didn't mind. Like, if you're if you want to advertise a revenge story, you might as well give. Here's what the revenge is about. I get it. Yeah, but what I, the things the, it was the little things that I wasn't expecting. That really uh, that caught my eye, and part of it is right here at the beginning. Uh, we have a really cool opening scene. First of all, some copter shots of Chicago. So that's where it takes place. Right, uh, straight out of Batman, um, <laughs> the Nolan Batman. Mm-hmm. And uh, but one, uh, I was kind of you know again not really taking it too seriously, just sitting there eating my M and M's and uh, waiting for the actual action to start. Uh, started invoking. I watched uh, the Chicago shows, so I'm like, you know, oh, they get a fly by Chicago Med, you know, like right, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but uh, we have a cop who is just cru- just just sailing down the high the down the roads, like just speeding, um, because his partner's been shot and he's trying to get him to a hospital. 
Uh, and he does so. And the one thing I noticed right away was the idea that Bruce Willis, as this like trauma ER surgeon, has to make all these difficult choices about saving life or, 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 or whether, you know, like what to do to save a life, essentially. Yeah. Right? What does it take? And so he's a seasoned veteran surgeon. And this cop comes in and right away I noticed, and I don't know if they were setting up something here. Maybe I was reading too much into it, but I thought he was somewhat of a callous person to start with. I think this was to set up that he was kind of somewhat callous because he was just, he gets there and he's about to do something. And then the guy's heart stops and they don't like do chest compressions. They don't do anything. They're like, oh, we lost him. Like, he just gives up on him right away. I did think that was odd to begin with. Uh, but I and kind I, of, based on the rest of the movie, I kind of thought that that was um, them setting up how good he is at knowing when a life can be saved and when it's just futile. Okay. I think it's just a, well, it was just a lack of, like, they didn't, like, tear tear off the his coat and everything yeah. and, and start the chest compressions and you know, not today. You're not dying. I mean, cause this is one of Chicago's finest. Yeah. You figure that, that they're going to do everything to, that they could in their power. I know it sets up one particular thing and we'll get back to it because it does get called back. This scene gets called back, but the, uh, but the idea that he starts off as sort of, it seems like they're trying to set him up as a callous. All, and judging by his demeanor, almost uncaring like he's good at his job because he's good at his job not because he cares do you know what i mean um kind of um and in in a looser way to, uh you know how they they, they painted stephen strange at the beginning of doctor strange yeah he, he's amazing at his job and he doesn't want to take cases that he thinks he'll lose he doesn't give a shit about the patients about the win right i kind of got a similar did you no uh not at okay. all okay um I kind of got uh, with that particular case with the with the police officer who was shot several times. I kind of thought that I kind of got that when uh, he was considering if he was to go in, open up, take everything out, get the um, uh, like the clear the paddles, the paddles out. Paddles out yeah. um, I think he knew it would take too long to get to a bare chest, mm. and it wouldn't because. It, it, and he basically says later on, he says he lost too much blood, and his heart couldn't pump enough blood therefore that's why he died because he says that to the partner later on yeah um and another another thing about about this scene is i think it uh, what you were expecting was kind of the movie uh doctor right and i think this movie presents itself in more of a realistic style you know uh, what i mean okay um that's what i kind of got out of that because like you're right in a, in a typical movie scene you get the whole, you're not dying on me today, god damn it. Chicago's finest, I will stick up for you, blah, blah, blah. Clear, paw, clear, paw, clear, yeah, paw. Yeah, like you know? this, essentially, you know, yeah, this guy, by virtue of what he does for a living, not the doctor, the cop, yeah. is, you, you know, you go that extra, not that, that certain people are better than others and they don't deserve equal treatment, but right. the idea that of, like, we're going the extra mile now, for you know one of chicago's finest i think is is yeah like that's what i was expecting was that movie doctor type persona and that's on me i guess yeah but, but what well, you're I think, conditioned to believe that i think going well, into a movie well, well sure yeah yeah i'm going yeah i'm sitting there in a movie theater yeah. so and here's the story so here's what i'm expecting now one thing it does set up is a line that gets called back later which i think was really cool of them to do 
because he because he doesn't even touch the cup, right? Right. He gets in there and he's about to, I think, like do something. It looks yeah. like he was about to do something, and then all he ends up doing when the, is that the heart stops, the heart rate monitor gives the beep. He, I think, he just puts two fingers on him to make to do the pronunciation. Yeah. Let's call it time of death, whatever, right? When he comes out to to the partner, he says, "We did everything we could." Yeah. Which, yeah, that line stuck with me. I was like, "Uh oh," because <laughs> he didn't do anything. He didn't actually do anything. True. He just looked at him, just called it right. So, I think that's a very pertinent. Uh, I'm I'm looking for that later, and sure enough, it pays off. Yeah. Because. Well, let's go on. I mean, well, I, yeah. So, well, actually, in that particular scene, there, I think there's more uh, a more important line. Is he finishes talking to the partner, and then they call him to do the shooter. The shooter comes in. Oh yeah, and the shooter's still alive, and he gets called away to perform surgery on the shooter. And the cop says, "Wait a minute, you you let him die, but you're going to save the life of the of the guy who shot him." He's like, "If I can." Yeah, you know what I mean, like, and so that the the one thing this movie is really good at doing, and we'll sort of get into the the timing of this movie too. Um, there's it, it sort of walks the line of do we need vigilante justice, and is it appropriate for vigilante oh. justice? Yeah, oh, um, we'll get into that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and considering today's volatile sort of uh, news goings on in the United States, it's there was a couple of moments where the the my audience made a collective, you know. Um, so it really does sort of walk that line. It doesn't, but I think the movie is smart in that it doesn't play to either side. I think it just sort of presents reality as it is. Well, th- I mean, this movie literally brings up the question and then leaves the answer open. You d- like we have radio DJs bringing up the question, saying you decide. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that, and that's not. It's in the movie. It's to their listening audience, but to but that's also to us, right? Yeah. Like if I, you know, if they gave out the number, I'm sure someone in my theater would have reached into their phone and started dialing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And that's what the thing I, I, I like. It, it I, I say it sticks to reality. It sticks to reality within the story, right? And it now sticks to guy, the reality of um, Doctor Kersey's reality, right? And as a and as a doctor, his that's his only goal is to save lives. Yeah. Right? So he doesn't really care who it is. Yeah. Like he didn't give the cop any more treatment than he would do. You know, I'm I'm guessing that that's what we're presented with. Not the movie doctor that's pounding on the chest and yeah, whatever, but the idea that he'll treat every patient equally because he's not he's he's a step back from the situation, right? It's not his partner that got shot. It's not you know the guy responsible for harming anything you know him personally. Yeah. So he just treats them both the same, and if the the shooter dies, so be it too, right? Like that's just yeah, like he's not going to he's not going to let the situation affect how he does his job. Or, or yeah, or the the he's not going to let who the person is affect affect how he treats them. Yeah, right. And then yeah, and that's so that's his big story because that changes incredibly drastically. Yes, 
Right. So go back to the valet thing. So the, they he's going out to celebrate his daughter getting into college. Uh, they go out for dinner. The valet uh, picks up his car. Oh, uh, sorry. Real quick. Uh, dinner. Who really drinks wine with pizza? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. who puts pine- Chicago- who puts pineapple on a pizza? The, the, this is the infamous Chicago deep dish pizza. It deserves at least a pale ale. I'm sorry. <laughs> Especially, and I thought it was kind of a, a little bit out of character for Vincent. Did we get introduced to Vincent D'Onofrio's character, who's Paul's brother. Yeah. And he, uh, I thought, okay, he, he's supposed to be the deadbeat schlub. Why didn't he have a beer with his pizza? <laughs> you know? He's not really a deadbeat, we find out. No, I guess. I really thought that character was going to go off in a different direction, but he doesn't. Um, so anyway, when he picks up the valet, the valet drops off uh, Frank's car, which is uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. They tell him, and they make sure, okay, we're meeting at this uh, restaurant at 8 on Wednesday for, for Peter's birthday, or Paul's birthday. Be there, 8 o'clock Wednesday, so they know, so the valet knows that this family is going to be out of the house. And that they're mm-hmm. fairly affluent because they're going to a restaurant in Chicago that has valet parking. Yep, and right? he knows what kind of car they drive. Because exactly. He, so he goes yeah. in, he picks up the uh, dashboard GPS, which I thought was very smart, takes, yeah. your, takes a picture of it, and that sets up the robbery. And during the robbery, uh, the wife and daughter are shot. Mm-hmm. He's called into work, so they can't go to dinner, uh, which is why they're home. Um, and... The wife and daughter are shot. The wife, unfortunately, dies. So, thanks for this co- is where we- thanks for coming out, Elizabeth Shue. Uh, and yeah, the daughter's well, in a coma. Well, now here's where we get though that line, like I said, right? So when it all of a sudden it's his family, he's the one going in, and he has he's greeted by the doctor coming out of surgery, saying we did everything we could, like using, and that's where I thought that that was a very clever kind of setup payoff, because yeah. now. Because you know he he was he kept doing saying it probably he probably said it a thousand times before to a thousand other people. I'm not saying he's that bad a doctor that he's killed thousands of people, but you get the sense he's had a long career, so he would have seen. Okay, we'll say hundreds, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or however many. Well, people. they yeah. When they when, when the first guy comes in, they ask for him specifically. So obviously he's very good at his job. Yeah. Okay. So maybe not a thousand or a hundred, but you know, every time you figure that every time he's had to tell somebody. He would use the line, we did everything we could. Now he has to be on the other side of that. Yeah. Right? And to him, it's no longer just a line. Well, no, he accepts it pretty pretty well. I, I, I guess, but at the same time, though, I think it cha- I think that's the start of the change of his worldview because he's not the one saying it to placate a, a grieving friend or family member. Right. He that is that person now, right? He is that grieving family member. Yeah. So, yeah, so that I think that's the start of like his world being turned upside down. He has his own line kind of shoved back into his face, to a degree. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, he gets to hear it from the other perspective, right? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, luckily the the you know the the daughter very athletic. I'm glad that it didn't go down the road I thought it was going to. Like I know this this movie got an R. So, I'm, but I'm glad they didn't get to like one of the guys raping the daughter. I didn't even want to say the line. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was kind of implied during the break in the, like they, the wife gets taken up into the safe and the one guy wants to go after the daughter. And the other guy is like, no, 
stop it. We're not here for that. Yeah. Which yeah, is that's, uh... kind of different. I'll tell you what I really appreciated in this movie. And the fact that the daughter was out of it for so long. Uh, going by the trailers, what I kind of thought was going to happen was that the daughter was going to wake up out of her coma halfway through the movie and sort of be the um, that Spider-Man friend uh, sitting at a computer helping you over the phone type character. Yeah, right? I, I expected her to come out of the coma sooner. I remember some detail that's going to lead him to his targets. Exactly. And and, and I, was, I was very happy that didn't happen because it's so cliché. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they didn't do it that way. And I think that is, uh, unique to this movie because it, the, the daughters now, when the daughter wakes up later on and starts the third act and goes into the, <laughs> into the climactic fight, there's a lot of set of conveniences there, but I'm willing to forgive that because it sets up the final fight type thing. Well, well yeah. And not to mention that we, we get, um, another thing I like is that the, the journey is Paul's alone. He doesn't talk to his brother. The daughter yeah. is not there. No one's there to tell him no. Yeah. So he's just acting of his own accord based on, in you know, all the... And and I really like what happens next. Now, first of all, at the funeral, uh, I, one of my favorite characters is the father-in-law. Okay. He's only in here for a brief period, but this idea that he's... He's presented at first as this genteel old man giving a speech, uh, you know, giving the eulogy about, you know, how his he lost his wife some years ago. Yes. And it was just him and his daughter, which I thought it was appropriate, too, because now Paul ends up in that same way. Right. Yep. He lost his wife. Now it's just him and his daughter. So here comes a parallel. And then the um, the whole thing about, uh, you know, what 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 Elizabeth Shue said. And anyway, so. You get the grieving old man, like I, uh, you know, should never have seen my 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 kid die, kind of thing, which is true. But uh, then in the car on the way back from the funeral, he turns like a top, and there's another layer to this character. Yeah, that we get to meet where he just open fires on some poachers because he's pissed off and he talks. He's the one who kind of plants that seed, I think, into Paul about you know a man should protect you know. You can't always rely on the cops. Like out here, there's, you know, you'll never see the cops. So you got to do a, a real man's got to do it himself kind of thing. Yeah. Right? That idea of almost like frontier justice that, yeah, that he sees out in Texas, which then he's going to carry that idea with him into the city where there's lots of cops, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it, it's kind of what I call the NRA argument. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and, and, and to be fair, like, And this is why it's so real to me, because he sees how this is how some people live. And this is how some people these days do business. And this is how they have to do business. Um, And this is also where, and and throughout the movie too, um, like he learns how to clean a gun, uh, you know, strip it, put it back together off a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. You know, and he learns how to uh, destroy evidence on a hard drive, again, from a YouTube video or an online video. Oh, yeah. Um, I've gotten technical help for my PC, for cars, right. or, you know, from YouTube. Yeah, that's right. the way you do it now. But it's so real because that, that information is out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, like, like I you could go through, you could go through what he goes through and do exactly what he does and believe that he, that you could do it. 
because because of the internet, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. But but sorry, really quickly getting back to the uh, to the father-in-law. Um, you know, if you look at this from like a Joseph Campbell hero's journey perspective, this is now the the wise old man giving advice. And the advice yeah. is you got to take matters in your own hands and that's it. And then he's gone, right? Like that. We never hear from him again, but I really liked that character real quick because of just that. He's not just a general man. He's like, no, 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 no. He's a, he, this guy actually can handle himself and he can take care of business, you know? Yeah. He's not, and he's not afraid to take the law into his own hands. So I think that's, he ends up being kind of an example. It doesn't get directly called out, but they really, they show us, they don't tell us, which I thought, I thought well, I appreciate it. Yeah. What I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then he gets back into the city, and he does everything that he's supposed to do. Though he 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 cooperates with the the, the uh, detectives, which uh, one of which uh, you, everyone would recognize from Breaking Bad. Uh, the actor's name is Dean Norris. Yeah, he plays uh, Kevin Rains, Detective Kevin Rains. He played a DEA agent in Breaking Bad. So he plays a lot of cops. Stranger. He played the mayor in um, uh, Under the Dome. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, no, no, uh, no stranger to playing law enforcement. So yeah. I thought that was a good, good casting. Why not? Right? Like, let's get the uh, appear. Really, like this is, you know, they're about the same age, and uh, I've seen this, I've done that, you know, and uh, you know, trust me, there's a system, and we'll get to it. But I, I really like the interaction. Yeah, that he goes into. His I office. actually, I actually really appreciated that sort of speech. Uh, he says, "Well, what about a private investigator?" He says, "Ah, they'll just take their money." They can't really get involved in the police investigation. They're tampering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what if I do this? Yeah, that really won't work. Or what if I offer a reward? He says, ah, then you're just going to get people calling in, wasting our time. Which is believably true, you know? And mm-hmm. and that sort of adds to the realness of this movie. And I was like, hmm, okay. Well, that... I mean, I mean, obviously, when you're watching the movie, knowing that it's a revenge tale, you, you can see the movie's pushing towards you know, vigilante justice, but I mean, at the same time, it's all true. Yeah. And it's almost like when they were writing the movie that someone took the time to maybe go to a seasoned detective and ask these questions themselves. Okay. Okay. Hypothetically, if this is what happened and I asked you these questions, how would you respond? Yeah. You know what I mean? You can almost hear it coming out of a real policeman's, uh, you know, mouth. Yeah. Um, and he's out. So how does he get the first gun? Oh, I love this. Uh, so it's there just comes a point where he's starting to give up, but he's uh, he's in therapy. Uh, yeah, he's on his own. He's not sleeping. He just rides the trains, and I think this was really nice how they kind of short. I don't want to say shortcut to to make it sound bad, but they give a nice concise uh, look at his grieving process and how he's how he's doing. Yeah, through these therapy sessions, I think because because it's not just shots of him staring and moping and looking at a window, looking at a tree or whatever. Yeah, or sitting he's at the just, sitting at the bar, yeah. Right, right. He's he's telling somebody, which you would, you would go to therapy for this. Yeah. Absolutely. And so us being in those therapy sessions is a nice way of concisely giving us what he's been going through and giving us that passage of time. Yeah. Because it's not just one, he didn't do all of this in one day. This is like, yeah, every day he gets up and he he rides the rails because it was a comfort when he was a kid. It was a way for him to escape. Yeah. So he does it now as an adult. And um, it also sets up later on how he, he knows the subway system inside and out because he's been riding it since he was a kid. He hasn't spent all of his time as uber rich, never been on a subway or, or train before. Right. Right. Which comes in handy later on when he's become the vigilante. So um, 
yeah, it, it's really a nice way to do that. And then, so, but eventually he does, uh, oh, uh, the, so it's not that he goes to, um, he sees a commercial for Jolly Rogers, the sporting equipment company. Just ask for Bethany. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't realize, like, I, I've only, I've been to Chicago once. I spent an afternoon there. That's all the time I had. And it, it, it was cool. I didn't realize that I should have looked up Jolly Rogers because <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I'm ever in the greater Chicago area, I will drop by. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he goes to see what it would take to buy a gun because we're starting to see his frustration because the, his therapy sessions are intercut with him trying to constantly contact the detective to see what progress has been made in finding the killer. Right. Or kill or killers. Actually, they know there's been more than one. So, um, right. And, yeah. but doesn't like a, a criminal come in and he gets put on his operating table. Um, okay. Yes, but he he goes to Jolly Rogers first to try and legally buy a gun. Then yeah. he finds out about all the paperwork and how it would take over a month. So I I think that was his, you know, when she tells him how how guns can be traced back to their owner. Right. That's when it, I th yeah I think that's when he like he makes the decision. Okay, I I want to get a gun and I don't want it to be traced back to me. That's why he goes back to work. It's not because he's feeling better. It's because he knows what he does for a living. I, I kind of got a different thing out of it. When he was told that, you know, all the bullets can be traced back to you, I thought that was like, okay, well, I was considering getting a gun. Now I don't want to. Well, and he didn't, right? That changed his mind. Yeah. He said, I'll, th I'll think about it and I'll come back. And she's like, okay, just ask for Bethany. So, but he know, but I think that's also the reason why he went back to work, because he knew that it was only a matter of time. Why, why am I not surprised you remembered Bethany's name? <laughs> Well, they say it a couple of times in the movie. Too. Yeah, I'm sure that's the reason. Okay. It was also written on her name tag. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And hope she also happens to be your exact type. Sure. Yeah. 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 That, that, okay. that helps. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just I just wanted to okay, never mind. I'm sorry, uh, gun wielding a, a gun wielding hot, gorgeous blonde. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm the bad guy. All right. You know. Yeah. Take out gun wielding. That pretty much explains your type. <laughs> Well, I know the fact she can handle a gun just actually makes it even better. Okay, but, well, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> just saying. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, gorgeous blonde woman. Oh yeah, I'm a monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but no, I think I think that's what gives him the unction to go back to work because he he's seen and like he's hearing on the radio about the increase and increase and increase of shootings every week. That number that they keep saying. Yeah. On like his Monday morning drive, is. You know, oh, 93 people shot in one weekend in Chicago. Like, holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy, by the way. So, uh, yeah, and that's where, like you were saying, go ahead with the, the, the criminal that comes on his table then. Yeah, so a criminal comes in, and I guess the cops did a very poor job of frisking him because mm -hmm. uh, a gun drops out of his pocket, and he slides it under the table, under the operating table, and he picks up the gun later on. He takes it home with him. That's where he learns through YouTube how to clean it and how to use it, and he goes somewhere uh it's not really i don't think we ever really find out exactly where he goes but he found someplace remote yeah i guess yeah and he's been practicing his shooting and and then it comes to uh it's not the kid yet but he uh, he's walking down the street late at night in a bad neighborhood and he sees a carjacking yeah and i think this is kind of him testing his own metal yeah yeah, this you is sort I mean? of it, the uh, the the 
the the Tobey Maguire Spider Man trying to see how to shoot the web kind of scene. Yeah, the, uh, kind of like um, in Batman Begins before he gets the formal bat suit when he's running around in the bare clave and he's got just the climbing gear on and he's yeah. trying to yeah stop. He just stops like a generic crime kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So he gets so he stops a, a carjacking by shooting the two guys uh, that were stealing the car and kidnapping uh, a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets videotaped, of course. Did but you recognize? I who did. Did? I did immediately. Yes. That's Tannis from Letterkenny. I, oh, I love Tannis. Uh, she's a great character on that show. Yes, she's a beautiful woman. Yeah, and she's played. So, uh, she plays a really good thing. And they're like, we would, and the cops come to visit her, and they're like, we would like you to keep this video private. Uh, don't uh, don't up, upload it to all the social media that you kids do these days. She's like, I put it up hours ago. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it becomes a viral hit, and he he gets nicknamed the Grim Reaper. So yeah, it makes me wonder, by the way, if this was partially filmed in Canada. It could be. I think so. Like your street, your, kind of your street level stuff was probably filmed. Yeah, it could Canada, be. That could be Toronto. Because right, Toronto or Scarborough. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. So, yeah, because you can just take a block of like a lot of cities. Yes, we have cities in Canada. Um, <laughs> and, and make it, you know, be like anywhere. Like like certain shots, obviously, when they're dealing with the trains, those are unique to Chicago, like yeah. how the elevated train. So, of course, they would have to, I think, jump back and forth. But. Um, but yeah, yeah. So he, his first outing, he is successful to a degree, he caused a bit of damage, but, uh, but the woman is very thankful and, uh, yeah, he's nicknamed the Grim Reaper because he just does something about it. Yeah. Well, he's, and well, he's, and he shoots the guys in, in dead blood. So, yeah. And that two things, right. Yeah. Cause he was just cold about that second guy. The guy come, came, jumped out of the car and started shooting at him. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wins a gun battle and. Two things are important from this scene. Sorry, Mark, real quick. Uh, principal photography happened in Chicago. Um, later, uh, filming began in Montreal, Quebec. Oh, Quebec. Okay, there you go. Yep, not too far from where, where we are. Or from um, you are. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, a little closer for me than you. But uh, <laughs> right about a couple hours. Yeah. Yep. And, of course, this is Canada, so we measure distance by time, not by actual distance. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so um, two, two, two important things that will come out of this because you know, there's two leads that the the cops take, right? Like he had his back turned to Tannis because that's what I'm going to call her the whole time. Yeah. So she didn't get a look at his face. But the, the hoodie and the fact that A, he's left-handed and B, he does get an injury because the gun, I guess it's the way he was holding the gun. Something happens with the gun that actually well, slides back and it cuts his hand. Yeah, when 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 a Glock uh, fires, it kicks back and to yeah. to reload the next bullet. Um, and he was holding basically he was holding the gun too high. Uh, yeah, and it cut up the inside of his thumb and and, and index finger. So, um, and and there's a lot of great scenes where he's hiding that from the cops. Uh, you see one sort of the next day in the hospital, two cops walk by. He puts his hand in his pocket. Um, Just late, very, very slyly. Yeah. Yep. Later on, when the cops actually come to his office mm-hmm. um, and talk to him, I noticed he kept his hand below the desk. No. Yeah. And then he did everything with his right hand, so it made it appear that he's right-handed. Yeah. Right. Because you're 
your natural inclination, someone hands you something, your natural inclination is to use your dominant hand yeah. to retrieve it. So he, he consciously makes that decision, even though he is left-handed, to keep his left hand down, use his right hand, because they, uh, yeah, that's that's a bit later in the, in the movie, but yeah, that's, it's those things, though, that they got from this video. So they're looking for a left-handed guy with a scar to at least become a suspect, so they have something. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, go ahead. What's the next one? Uh, there, the next so one. the next one, though? The next one, uh, a, a young boy gets brought into the hospital. Uh, oh, and he yes, gets shot yes. in the leg, and he says the ice cream man did it. And he says the ice cream man did it. He say, and basically, there's this guy called the ice cream man who makes the kids, I assume, sell drugs. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, but they, he says, you can't go to school without crossing the ice cream man. And you know, yeah, everyone works for him. Yeah, and everyone works for him. So, so the kids are runners, basically. So they. It's actually uh, kind of brilliant because no one's going to search a kid for weed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, maybe nowadays, but not a maybe kid that young. Not, not, not like no, this was no. like a six, seven year old. So they, so he goes out and in broad daylight goes up to the ice cream man, and he says, "Who are you?" He says, "I'm your last customer," and shoots him very quickly. Yeah. Th- this scene, th- this is the one scene that, that I don't want to say bothered me, but I was like, "Well, why didn't anyone else draw down on him?" Because to think that the ice cream man was the only one there that had a gun, the way they set up the neighborhood, I'd be surprised. <laughs> True. If, um, well, even even because he had lieutenants, if you will. Yeah. Like he had other guys working for him. As soon as the gun comes out, they both. <laughs> so maybe that's hyper realistic. Maybe it is that flight or fr- that fight or flight instinct. Really, the flight part kicks in. Yeah. If- well, I kind of saw it as this is sort of a small time deal. Uh, maybe it's like a neighborhood level thing. Um, so they probably don't expect this to happen. And I'll even go back to Die Hard 3. You know, you, you know, a white guy gets killed in Harlem and we got all kinds of cops around tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, the ice cream man does pull out a gold-plated gun. Right. So obviously yes. maybe they thought that he was good enough with the gun that they felt protected. True. Um, and and I suppose if you had a bunch of guys working for you, you wouldn't want them to be armed because one, any one of them could just take your business, right? Right, exactly. Kind of plus, cutthroat. Plus there's no indication that he gives that he has a gun either, right? Yeah. So yeah, and he, in, the, in the hoodie. In the hoodie, and he just pulls it out and shoots right away. So, mm-hmm. you know, you hear gunshots, you go. What I really liked about this scene, though, is everyone around – what happens immediately after the ice cream man gets killed? Everyone comes over to the ice cream thing and starts taking it's money. Ste- out. Yeah. Yeah. They start stealing all his shit. Yeah. Like no honor among thieves type thing. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, so I, I well, very he, much appreciated that. I, I kind of got a sense that like the na- he took so much from the neighborhood that they're just taking it back. Yeah, exactly. To a de- degree. right? Yeah. Uh, and interspersed with this, you have Sway from, uh, so it was an actual DJ. Um, talking about it, you have Man Cow in the morning, who's also a Chicago DJ, also mm-hmm. talking about it. Uh, very good, bringing up that duality, like uh, that that question that you talked about earlier. You know, is this good? Is this bad? It kind of gives both sides. Um, and then the next one is what Miguel comes in, right? The uh, the valet. Yeah, he comes in under the table. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's so wearing his shot. watch, and he's wearing the watch that that was stolen from his house on the night his his wife was killed. 
And then so the plans, okay, now he knows where to start going. And he goes to the bar where, and he says, you know, he tries to make like he's trying to buy some stolen merchandise. And Miguel told him about it. Um, there's sort of a gunfight there. And he kills one of, one of, two of the guys, right? Uh, well, he kills, uh, well, the, there's the one guy, the, the white guy uh, working there who's just running the, he's the fence, I think, right? So when you have the stolen goods, you sell them to him and then he resells them to anyone looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's the, he's just the fence. Um, he wasn't in on the actual uh, attack. So, but one of the guys that that come, that he calls was yeah. this guy named Fish. Yeah. And uh, so, and there's a big I, fight in the, in the bar. I liked it. Uh, I thought it was funny that Fish shoots, basically wants to shoot straight through the fence. At, to, uh, yeah. Just to get, you know what I mean? Just to get at Bruce Willis there, at Paul. And he just ends up just blowing his buddy's head off. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really good. And then, yeah, there's a gun battle there. He gets shot in the leg. And But this is kind of interesting, though, because part of this is it's... They're showing us that the, that Paul is not invincible. Right. You know, he, he makes mistakes. Like, the gun gets, I think, shot out of his hand. No, no, he gets kicked, and, uh, and it, he ends up throwing the gun. Yep. And he's about to get shot, and lucky for him, a bowling ball falls from the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from the uh, from a, a trophy case. I mean, they set, they set it up. They show us all the trophies in the bowling ball. Like, okay, well, something's getting someone's getting that in the head. Yeah. So it was a little easy to call, but at the same time, the way they used it was interesting because it shows that this guy is part good, but just part lucky. Like, yeah, there's there's these conveniences that keep happening that allow him to continue, like. MJ coming across his table so he could steal his his phone, get his fingerprint to open it. Luckily, it's a fingerprint, not a pass key. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there's a certain amount of luck that it helps him along the way. Yeah. But because the action's good and the story's compelling, you actually kind of don't care. Like, oh, all right, he got lucky and a bowling ball fell. Cool. Yeah. That's funny. That's just funny. And what it also does is it tells the audience, like, if you're thinking about doing this, look at how much luck this guy had. Yeah, yeah, you know, like it's not. Yeah, like he could have easily been like shot right there. Yeah, easily. If that bowling ball hadn't hadn't fallen, he was dead. That's yeah, it. yeah, and yeah. Fish had him dead to rights, right? So, yeah. So uh, after that, that leads him to another guy. I forget Knox. Yeah. Now, is this is it in between this these two, or is it in between this one and the next one where they report that someone else does try it and gets shot? Yes, there is. Uh, there is one. I forget where it is. It's, it's really quick. A, a guy tries to be a vigilante, a copycat, puts on a hoodie and tries to stop a mugging. I think it is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the mugger shoots him dead. And it, yeah. it's also a kind of a warning. It's like, hey, you know, this won't always work. You know, you can't. So I mean, this this movie's being responsible to people who are smart enough to realize that they're being responsible. You know what I mean? Yeah, the other thing I was I kind of thought we were gonna get, and they didn't. We didn't get. I thought at least one of the maybe the radio DJs or something would be like, "Hey man, you know this cat, this guy came out and tried to, you know, shoot a shoot a mugger and he got shot." It's like, oh, you know what? Don't try this unless you have some sort of death wish. Yeah, or something like that. You know what I mean? Pretty like much. A, yeah. Not or, to put or too expected, a point on it. 
No, but or, or like I was actually waiting for, because I mean that's the title, yes, but at the same time it is kind of applicable. Or even even when D'Onofrio finally finds out, uh, when Frank finds out, like do you have some sort of death wish, Ben? You know, or something like that. Like I was waiting, and maybe that's why they didn't because it was a little too obvious, right? But yeah, because uh, but yeah, so then uh, he, I this one the the scene in the garage. This is where me as a as a viewer. Um, I stopped being the reviewer for a moment, for a couple minutes, because I start, and I started getting a little more active as a viewer. I was uh, like when he he cuts along, so he he basically gets the drop on on this on the second guy, because uh, he gets the name from the first guy. The first guy sell fish sells this guy out. Yeah, and so he what is it? He knocks him out. Oh, he, he he takes a monkey wrench, hits him in the balls so hard that his head comes up so fast that he knocks himself out on the car he's working on. Yeah, like oh, like my god! Uh, as soon as that ball, that ball hit, you know that scrot smash, I was like, oh, like I was I was that guy in the theater. Yeah, and I'm hoping I'm hoping the people around me got a kick out of it because I I actually did that curl up into a ball and you you know like oh. You know? Yeah, yeah. Thought... Yeah, and then he sets him up. He sets him up almost jigsaw style. I know. Um, and he basically opens it up to uh, his... There's a hole to a nerve, the biggest nerve in the body. I forgot what it is, but yeah, yeah, something like that. And then he pours paint thinner. Uh, no, brake fluid. Which he has lots of in a in an auto shop. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, he's got like like a half dozen cans. And just the tiniest drop is like just sending this guy into agonizing pain. And they're like, oh, in medical school, they're like, oh my God, you're that doctor from that thing. Which, again, uh, I found kind of poignant in the wording. Like, this is where the script writing is really good, too, is that that thing. Like, that's just a thing that happened. It wasn't the murder, the tragedy, the robbery, even. It was, oh, that thing. Just that thing that we did that one Saturday night. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, like it was like going to a dinner party for these guys. Well, that's well, it, it's kind of like Street Fighter, the, the most prominent line in Street Fighter. It's like, uh, you know, when I burned your when I burned your village to the ground, it was the most horror, horrible day of your life. For me, it was a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And so they kind of these guys kind of live that and right in front of them too. oh, you're that that doctor from that thing. And uh, so he tortures him into giving up the third guy. Or as much as he can. Right. Yeah. And then, oh, man, this death was brutal. Because he's got the car jacked up on, like, what, a, I don't know, 50-degree angle? Or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so high above him. And then he's like, oh, you're not going to kill me? Like, no, I'm not going to kill you. He goes, Jack will. And he pulls the jack out from under the guy, from under the car. And the car just mushes this guy's head into paste. And again, it was one of those, oh, you know, kind yeah, of moments. Yeah, there was definitely and, a reaction from the audience, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I was that guy. Had I been in the theater, you would have heard me probably louder than anyone else. <laughs> but I was getting into it. I was like, this, like, he's, he's, he's got a taste for it now, and he's becoming more inventive. I was like, this is, wow. You know, from a guy who took an oath to do no harm, he's doing a whole lot of harm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, um... So, but I like this escalation, and then uh, we go. We're getting close to the third act, and and so 
I like how things kind of get turned around on them, though. First of all, the cops are kind of closing in. They suspect... Like the, I like the detective work, because they actually start questioning, well, wait a second, why did this vigilante start now? And Reigns is looking at his own wall. Yeah. And seeing all the victims, and then so he kind of zeroes in on, well, maybe it's one of the curses because... It started right after, you know, this guy's wife died. Right? Right. So I think that's, yeah, it's kind of their first clue, or at least to try and start to suspect something. But they go after Frank first because Frank's, Frank's a known felon. He's a known felon, too, but also at the uh, when the investigation started, he went off on a little bit of a tirade. It's like, really? That's all you're doing? Are you going to do anything about this? You know, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Should, you know, shouldn't I get a gun or whatever and go after them myself or whatever? So he kind of indicates to the cops that he's, that he could be the person that does this. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I mean, to, you know, so far, the only description is like a middle-aged white guy wearing a hoodie. So it could be Frank. Yeah. I, I, I like the moment, by the way, when they're saying, oh, the, the, he's described as a, as you know, white mid thirties, and Willis is like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I did like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of, kind of like, oh, he kind of made him smile, you know. Um, yeah. So they they actually question Fra- uh, Frank. So Frank starts wondering what's going on, and so he goes to see his brother because, of course, he sees his brother every time he needs something. They set that up earlier. He needed money. He went to see Paul. Yeah. So now, you know, cops question him about a murder because of, you know, his sister-in-law and niece got killed. Or, well, his niece is in the hospital, you know. So he goes see Paul, and he finds the dungeon. Yes. Uh, so by day, he's saving lives. By night, he's taking lives. And he's being just as selective about both. But And then you, you get to his home. The upstairs is pristine. He can't sleep in, you know, his his own bed because yeah. his wife's not there with him. His obviously he's not doing anything to his daughter's room, so everything upstairs is pristine. And then you get into that deep, dark dungeon. You can almost see like this is some sort of deep part of his soul. It's all cement walls and like just takeout food, the gun parts everywhere, and gun cleaning stuff, and it's just a wreck. Like I I, I like this as almost a metaphor, where. What he's presenting on the outside is one thing, and but once you delve deeper, it's darker. And I think that because that, that comes across as almost a shock because we don't get to see the full like it's all up close shots of him cleaning the gun, uh, watching YouTube videos, learning this and that. We don't get to see the full state of that room that he's in. Yeah. So so once we get to see the full effect of it, you can see it's almost like Eli Roth is using it as no no this is what this guy looks like on the inside. He's a mess. Yeah, exactly, and uh, like the movie's really good at doing the duality, especially when they put up the um, the, the 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 split screen of him yes. at night and the parallels between what he's doing at night and during the day. The one yeah. thing about um, Vincent D'Onofrio is I really thought, especially after discovering that he, that his brother is the Grim Reaper, I really thought that he was going to offer to take his place. And confess to being the the Grim Reaper. Me too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially when he goes up to talk to the cops. Exactly. Exactly. Because the cops come to his house, and he's sort of no, he's out. I'm, I'm just watching the house. Blah blah blah. Um. But I was glad the movie didn't go that way because again, that's sort of the the trope. That's kind of how I expected it to go, and it, it subverted that. 
Yeah. So I was very happy to see that that's not the way that it happened. Um, and and again, kind of a difference between you know movie cop and real cop. I like how they did it this way, where they didn't just you know even after he gives them a line they obviously know is bullshit. They don't just kick down the door and be like, "All right, we know he's here. And where is he?" And you know, they're like, "Well, we actually have no right to come in. We don't have a search warrant." So yeah, they actually say that. She was, "I don't." He says, "I don't want to make any any sudden moves without an ironclad evidence." Yeah, yeah, I don't want to convict a good doctor without an ironclad case, right? Because that can that shit can get thrown out and you can get sued and all that. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, kind of a neat way of doing it. So they think it works, but really the cops are no. They're not put off by it. No. Such as they're moving on from different suspects. Yeah. Um, so the daughter wakes up from her coma. Uh, and she's got ready to be discharged. At the same time, while the, he goes, I guess he gets uh, he gets a phone call from the final guy. Because there's three guys yeah. that robbed the house. Um, and um, he gets a call from the final guy. And he says, meet me at the club. And there's a big shootout in the bathroom. Uh, he very smartly shoots the power out, so the power goes out. Yep, so he can sneak away. Then he gets He away. takes one in the shoulder. He, d- he takes a big one in the shoulder, and he has to staple it himself. It, I think it's a graze, though. It's, I don't think it's a... Because he doesn't have to pull a bullet out, I think, but he gets no. grazed by a shot. No, but yeah. it does get... Oh, excuse me. He does get opened up pretty badly. He has to staple it shut. And that glue and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and again, this idea like he's, he keeps sneaking into the hospital to get his his supplies, and yeah, he puts himself back together. So yeah, but he's a surgeon, so he knew it, but never thought he'd be operating on himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then eventually, uh, so but then the uh, the guy after that shootout comes into the hospital because he gets shot. Because he gets obviously he gets shot. So when the daughter is discharged, um, the guy is discharged at the same time, and they meet in the elevator. Uh, this was creepy. Yeah, it was a very tense scene where sort of the daughter is talking to him. It's like, oh, what were you in for? And she and, and, and she's like, oh, I was in a coma and I'm just going home. He's like, well, that's very nice. Knowing full well that he knows who she is and who and Peter is. Yeah, and what happened, right? So, Paul. Paul. Uh, so I keep saying Peter. Wrong apostle. Yeah, but, but, the, but, but the scene in the elevator is very tense and it ends kind of on a question mark and nothing really happens. Um. So he takes her home, and then he notices that some people are outside his home. So he locks her under the stairs, Harry Potter style. Well, before that, though, there's another kind of key scene, because he goes back to Bethany at the Jolly Roger. That's right. And I, I like this move, because he, he's he's... Like, he's partially lucky through this movie, but he is actually making some smart moves. So now he legally goes to buy a gun. And after having, you know, been the victim of a break-in, no one would blame him. Right. Especially with his daughter coming home. Right, exactly. So he's got, he legally owns a gun now. And he ditched the the one. So any of the ballistics that come from the Grim Reaper's first two victims, or all the victims... They're not going to match anything that happens at this, at a shootout in his home. Right. Yeah. None of the so, none of the Grim Reaper bullets are going to match his. Right. So it's going to be a uh, yeah exactly. So it's it's going to be a different gun, different scenario, and and yeah, and he's kind of squeaky clean. He's like, oh, I was just home defending my daughter, and yeah. So 
And, yeah, and and so yeah, sorry, go ahead. So the Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, well, just basically he hides her, and then he basically sets traps for. There's three guys again. Um, he kills two of them in pretty smart ways, uh, pretty cool ways. One of them he shoots. Um, well, he's going into the shower. Yeah, no, the first one comes up in the bed. Oh, no, wait, the one gets distracted by the bed. Then he kills the one. There's a shower running. The guy thinks he's in the shower, so he goes through the door. As soon as he goes through the door, gun comes out, bang, right to the head. Yeah. Um, the second one comes in, sees the body on the floor with the, with, the, with the guy's gun beside him. But unbeknownst to him, Bruce Willis is under the bed, grabs the gun, and from the floor shoots him. Yeah, which makes him fall back and, and a pistol. Yeah, <laughs> was now so he falls back and cracks his head on the floor when he falls off the balcony. That was another oh moment. Yeah, because it was gruesome the way like and didn't Eli Roth? I mean, he's a horror guy, right? Eli Roth. Yes, mainly. Yeah, so I mean, shooting these gruesome scenes. I mean, this is right up his alley. This is this is where he lives, <laughs> right? Shooting the gore and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did he not do, and I may have to take a moment to look this up, but did he not do, um, hang on. So early career, oh, Cabin Fever, Hostel, that's it. Yeah. That's why I remember this name. That is a grotesque movie. Well, I break that movie down into 90, uh, three 30-minute time slots. Yeah. Hostel, if you haven't seen it before, it's a half hour of setup, almost a half hour of porn. So I appreciate that. And then, the, <laughs> and then, and then the last half hour is just straight up gore for what I assume is gore's sake, but whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah. And so these, that, part of what's making this movie stand out to other action movies, they would have been content for. Bang, 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 body slumped to the floor, move on to the next bad guy. But no, no, Roth goes that extra mile. Yeah. Where you have the guy, he's not shot, he's crushed by a car. And again, shooting <laughs> yeah. that gore. Right? That, and this is like, what better director to shoot this kind of gory stuff than this guy, right? Practically? Yeah, when the car so, falls on him, his brains pop out too. Yeah, it's just, yeah, right. So we're getting that extra level where it's almost a horror. If you look at it from the robber's point of view, it's almost a horror movie. Yeah. Where this well, like, guy's stalking them and, and these gruesome deaths, right? So Well, like Eli Roth is known for his gore, but he actually he tones it down in this movie. Oh well sure. All, I the, mean, all it, the while throwing in his his signatures too. So well, right, but that's what I mean is that his signature raises the what would have been, you know, a diehard kill, which is bang, 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 and oh, you got me and slump, yeah. slump to the floor up to No no, the guy's going to stumble back, fall down a flight of steps straight onto his head, and it's going to crook, like bend his face in half or something. Like, it was gross. Yeah, yeah, that was It was brutal. really gross. That was brutal. Uh, but that leads to the final showdown between him and the and the main guy. I forget his name because we don't really know it. Um, and that's the one thing right. about this movie is we don't have a villain throughout the entire movie because um, we follow – uh, Paul and like he doesn't know mm-hmm. who the villain is, right? Um, but in the end, the villain is so bad, like he it's effective. So I mean, that's sort of. Uh, was, I think it's Knox. I think Knox is actually Knox the, is Knox is actually the villain. You're right. Knox is the main guy. Yeah, I believe so. But you're right. It doesn't really matter as much because we're so focused on Paul's character development. We don't need 
like we've we've already seen the villains and you know some movies rely on their villains depth but i mean these guys did horrific enough stuff to begin with yeah we don't really need like we we don't need to get to know them anymore because we don't want them to be sympathetic yeah exactly there's no feeling these guys are straight up villains and that's all we need to know which is what i've been asking for just villains for the sake of villains evil for the sake of evil yeah, it's way easier to make money this way than to work a nine to five in their yeah. house, right? A couple of big scores and they're set, right? So, yeah. absolutely. Um, so he f- eventually uh, Knox goes down into the basement where um, Bruce Willis is, and he shoots him. I think doesn't he? Oh uh, yeah, he gets a shot. Yeah, he's he gets the drop on Willis and shoots him in the uh, in, in the arm, and so his gun's down. But lo and behold, and this, I never, I didn't see this ending coming. I really thought, especially when his arm got shot, I thought we were in for a knockdown, drag out, punchy punch fest. Yeah. I really expected that. But no, we get the Jolly Roger surprise, which they already set up in their advertisement. (laughs) In their shitty local advertising. Yeah. But it worked. But it worked. Yeah. Yeah. the, the, The secret compartment under the coffee table that contains a machine gun. Yeah. Man, he, he he must have been like customer of the month. <laughs> They're like, holy shit, he bought everything in the ad. <laughs> Let's run it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think and that's it, actually an AR-15. I may be wrong, but yeah, that I might be so the too. big uh, gun of topic these days. So, which is the well, it's, which is kind of the uh, part of the movie, but yeah, I don't think it really matters at the caliber at this point, just because. It was what's in the ad. He buys what's in the ad. So that coffee table, which he's been sitting at, we don't really notice, right? Who pays attention to the coffee table? Yeah. We don't, we don't see him replace it. So we're not expecting that he can just kick it out. And lo and behold, there's a surprise gun and he just blows this motherfucker away. Yeah. Like, and quick the, too. Yeah. It's just a quick. And, uh, this is usually what, what is brought to mind when you talk about being blown to smithereens. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thought I had. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that I, I say this when Sean and I do the podcast. Blown to smithereens. Yeah. Because, you know, one shot will do it, but he lays into this guy. <laughs> yeah. So the cop comes in and um, uh, it, it's sort of that knowing conversation. It's like, so it's over. And Bruce Willis is like, yeah. He's like, did you have a Glock? And then he goes through and he's like, so the uh, all the uh, the scars in your body, all the wounds, and the almost healed uh, <laughs> uh, hand injury is uh, that's all from tonight. He's like, yeah. He's like, so this is over. He's like, yeah. Basically, he's saying, I know you're the Grim Reaper, but if you stop right now, I won't go any further. Um, which was no, nice. It, I kind of I kind of like that ending. Yeah, and and the, yeah, it's kind of a nice ending for the detective too because he. It shows that he's not that he's he's not that incompetent. They weren't trying to paint him as the bumbling, you know, oaf detective. You know, he knows what's up, but at the same time, he's like, I could do a whole bunch of other paperwork, but at the end of the day, these guys are scumbags. You, you know, it was a personal vendetta. I can't really, you know, he's still a human at the end of the day. Yeah. Says I can't really blame you for wanting for wanting justice for your family, and now it's done. As long as it's done, whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, is there going to be a sequel? No, there's not going to be a sequel. Okay. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, kind of not, because he drops his daughter off at school, and then uh, he's walking away, and he sees the uh, uh, the young Asian kid steal something from uh, somebody um, from uh, from a car, and then he kind of makes you see it in the trailer. He makes the gun thing with his hand and goes yeah. bang, and then cut to black. So they definitely leave it open for a sequel. True, I guess, yeah, if he wants to just be become this vigilante. But speaking of which, again, you know, that's that's the ending of, our, of the story, but holy cow, the debate over vigilantism is, it, it was, was gripping me. It was, this was the, you know, what, th- this movie does as well, if not better, than a lot of comic book movies when it comes to the question of vigilantes. And that's where, that gets brought up a lot. Uh, yeah. Is, you know, like the, the Batman debate. Would, you know, if someone could, maybe not dress up like Batman, but someone who could act outside the law like a Batman, is that sometimes in, you know, in certain places, is that necessary to kind of maintain order? If the, you know, uh, if the cops aren't doing the, uh, aren't frightening the criminals because they have all this legal this and legal that and paperwork that bogs them down, would an old West Sheriff type, you know, guy be the answer, you know, to keeping criminals at least at bay. And yeah, it, this movie doesn't pretend to answer it. No, no, it doesn't. Because yeah, it, it makes it very personal. And then, uh, you know, and it, and it works for this person, but he gets, you know, he, he gets very injured. He goes through like a, you know, bunch of mental anguish like this is, and they do show other people trying it and failing. So it, it, it's not one way or the other on the debate, but it brings up the question. I, and I appreciate that about this movie. Like, it, and the, the, the use of social media, the memes, the, you know, uh, even traditional media, like the radio, uh, DJs having that conversation. Yeah. Um, I appreciated that they brought the, the radio DJs in, by the way, because I think that's better than us just going to like a YouTube video and seeing, reading a bunch of comments. Yeah. Or, or Twitter or, or a whatever, vlogger. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe if they had some YouTube channels on to keep it au courant, people like us that go online and comment about stuff, sure. But I, I appreciated the radio DJs because it actually gave us a way too to get that kind of dialogue and and even part exposition along with the you know while whilst in between stuff, right? We we didn't have to keep cutting back to the internet. We'll let the radio DJs do it. People are listening to the radio on their ride to work. Is stuck in traffic. You got the radio on. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be on your phones on social media and that, right? So we see an old school guy getting his, getting news and information the old school way. So I appreciated that. That it used a nice combination of both. Like that, like Tannis's character, no way. New school, new media, bam, it's uploaded. It's out there. It's reposted, reposted and shown and reshown and, and tweeted and, you know, uh, memed within minutes, hours. Yeah. Like, I get that, but it's, uh, uh, but this movie showed a nice balance of both. And I think that was, it really helped because I got to tell you, uh, I, I'm, again, it was one of those showings. Now I went to an earlier show. Uh, I went to an earlier show. Okay. Uh, I went to like a 520 show. So I was out by 720. Like you said, it's a type 145. So two hours with the previews. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, I think I kind of averaged the, uh, the age down a bit. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a rated R movie, so that's going to be expected. 
No, but I mean, like, this is, I, I think a, a lot of these people were people that saw, they, I, some of these people, let's put it this way, they went to the theater back when Death Wish 1 first came out. Oh, okay. I, that, that, I see. <laughs> I see. And, and I think they were old enough back then to see Charlie Bronson blowing away the bad guys. Yeah. I think my dad was kind of jealous when I said, when I told him afterwards that I saw the movie. He's like, oh, yeah, how was it? I'm like, oh, okay. Dad wanted to see that because he saw the original. <laughs> yeah. Which, which yeah. actually would have been good because I could have got his opinion because I, I know he's seen the original. But I, Yes, I see. I didn't get to uh, – I should have interviewed that couple sitting next to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I didn't think about it. I'd be like, hey, listen, I do a podcast just real quick. What did you guys think? Did you see the original? I should have – you know what? Next time I might take the time and do that. What you may want to do is explain what a podcast is too just in case. I do a radio show on the internet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don't worry, none of this isn't being recorded. Yeah. yeah. Final thoughts and ratings? Oh, uh, well, you know me, I like a good time in the movies. I like a good action movie. This one, well, it, it was kind I mean, this wasn't like a Jet Li, you know, or Jackie Chan martial arts epic or a Tony Jaa or anything like that. Um, if you want something like that, watch The Raid. Holy shit. They are... Light on story and heavy on the punch and kicking. It yeah. is awesome for that, right? Uh, but this really, like a nice, a, a, a good story. It's simple, but told very well. Good character development. And the action was good. And I think the idea that he really just goes straight to guns instead of like, oh, I'm going to train martial arts for three years and then go and kick these guys in the ass. Like, I appreciated that he he took the shortcut. Yeah. And, and you know, and... No offense to Bruce Wells, but I mean, once you get to a certain age, eh, it's just easier to shoot him. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, look at the final fight. He's like, I'm not going to fist fight this guy who's like 30 years younger than me. Yeah, that's he's, true. Screw that. I'll just blow his head off, you know? Yep. <laughs> Smithereens. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I really liked it. And uh, I, I got to give it a nice, strong uh, eight and a half um, uh, AR 15s under my coffee table. Out of ten. Out of ten. Uh, yeah, I, I I love the way I love how this movie makes you think. I love what it makes you think about, especially mm-hmm. in today's world. Um, I think that needs to be a conversation. Uh, I don't want to get political, but something needs to be done. Um, mm. and even within just the the framework of this movie, it's a it's a really really good movie. It's a lot of fun. Is it worth seeing in the theater? If you're on the fence, I would say do it. Um, yeah. If you're um, like, if you don't want to see it in the theater, great. See, see it when it comes out on video. It's probably just as good on video as it is in the theater. Um, uh, yeah, this one will translate very well to the small screen. Yeah, it, but if you're watchability, but if you're on the fence, see it in the theater. Um, and uh, and and uh, it, it's just, it, I was surprised at how good it was. And mm-hmm. it didn't have to be that good. It could have been just a bang bang shoot 'em up two hour action flick, uh, yeah. but it but it was more than that. Um, so that's what I really appreciated about it. I'm gonna go and I, I'm gonna steal it from you, Mark. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go at eight and a half smithereens out of ten. So. <laughs> yeah, smithereens. <laughs> Maybe I have a new catchphrase. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, you're right. Um, I, and something that just occurred to me, yes, if you're on the fence, go see it in the theater. If nothing else, what you're also doing is supporting good movies. Yes. Like, this is where our money belongs. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you're one that is downloading movies uh, because you can't afford to go see everything in the theater, uh, 
go see this one. Let's let's put our money where we want to see more good movies. Like movies like Black Panther making lots of money. Great. We're going to get hopefully more movies like that. Same with this. Yeah. Like give more thought provoking, you know, thoughtful, but yet, you know, thrilling action movies. Let's let's give us more. I mean, with a movie called Death Wish, you actually going like not having seen the rest. Although knowing that they're sequels, I guess you kind of expect something, but a certain something. But in a remake, I actually, at some points, was wondering if he was actually going to make it out. I honestly wondered if he was going to. Me too. If his death wish would have happened, and maybe if for no other reason than to make the point that you know what, at the end, it, maybe it wasn't worth it all. But they don't make that statement. They let him live. Yeah. And I honestly wondered about that because. Yeah. And so, so that was, there was honest, especially when it came down to that last bad guy, like maybe it was like a thing where they shoot each other and they both die. Maybe. Yeah. You know, but this idea, you know, he gets justice, but it cost, but at what cost? Right. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, but this movie made me think like that, which I thought was really good. I appreciated it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, uh, coming up next week, there's a couple of movies we could do. I don't want to say that we're going to do one and then maybe we'll do the other, but we'll we'll talk about it. We'll be back next week. Well, j- just as a tease, what, what what's on the potential docket? Potential docket. Uh, there's three here I think we can choose from, um, which is uh, Gringo, hmm. The Hurricane Heist, or The Strangers Pray at Night. Ooh. All right. So well, one of those three. We'll talk off air about this. We'll but. talk off air. Yep. So I guess, or tell you what, uh, hey, if someone writes to us in time, wants yeah. to weigh in, yeah, I, I would, I would be okay with doing like a listener request for this one. Sure. If, yeah, that'd if be you're fun. up for it. Yeah, yeah. Just for if yeah, if someone happens to write in and says, yeah, you know, I, I, I want to see this one. Go ahead and like see this one. Okay. Okay. Um, So, uh, Mark, thanks very much for coming out. Always a pleasure. And I'm Sean Taylor, guys. We'll see you on the next Film Studies coming soon.